As we continue in this uh, series on Paul the Apostle of Christ, today we turn to uh, his letter to the church in Galatia, one of the first letters that Paul wrote, uh, a letter that as you read it, uh, you'll see his tone of voice is a little angry throughout it. It's often called the angry letter, but at least here at the beginning, he simply wants to tell a bit about his early life in ministry and what happened to him after uh, his transformation on the road to Damascus, which we looked at last week. So hear these words from Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 24. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way in, in Judaism... How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, well, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, we do give you thanks and praise for the opportunity to be in worship. Lord, we know that you are still speaking. You speak through your word. You speak through music. You speak through nature. You speak in the quiet places in our lives. And so we ask, oh God, that you would open us up today that we might hear a word from you, a word that would bring us encouragement, a word that would bring us direction and purpose so that we might know how best to follow you with all of our lives. So we ask this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a bit of a competition going this morning between the three worship services. Uh, does anyone, has anyone here, uh, did anyone here grow up with five siblings? Okay, how, those of you who had your hands up, how many of you grew up, did you grow up with six siblings? How about seven siblings? How about eight siblings? Eight siblings, how about nine? Jacqueline, you are the winner so far today. One of nine growing up in your family. So you will know uh, how loud a house can be, right? You will know just how loud uh, it can be with three uh, young ones, let alone four, five, six, seven, eight, nine children all in one, at one time. My, uh, my mother-in-law, every time she comes to visit, she says something like, welcome to the loud house. Uh, and it's absolutely true. I, I think I shared with you previously uh, that, my, uh, that this past year, uh, Santa thought it was a good idea to bring a drum kit and a karaoke machine uh, to the house. So the loud house got even louder. Uh, the, the girls' babysitters are here. Uh, they know uh, just how loud uh, the kids can be. It's easy to walk into the house and, and invest in some earplugs. Um, you know, we've tried everything to help them out, to reward them 
uh, whether it's in the house or, uh, you know, the marble jar to like have them try to, none of that stuff works. They can see through everything we do. We play the quiet game in the car, you know, the first one that, that, uh, that makes a noise, I don't know, doesn't get food that day or whatever it is, um, something like that. And, uh, you know, my daughter Emma's always like, uh, I'm out, you know, like within five seconds of, of starting the game or, or, you know, we love on long road trips every time we get to a bridge or a tunnel we have them hold their breath, uh, and, you know, we hope that, you know, maybe one of them will pass out by the end of the trip, uh, just to get it a little bit quieter in the room. So when I'm thinking about all this loud stuff, I was super intrigued by a trailer I saw for a movie that recently came out. Now, uh, side note, this is not a pastoral recommendation for a movie you should all go see, but the movie's called A Quiet Place, and, and the premise of this movie is that it's the year 2020, and, and many people in the world have been wiped out by a horde of the monsters with hypersensitive hearing. And so the movie opens up and you see this family of five and, and they don't have shoes on because they have to walk heel to toe real quietly over the leaves and they walk in the water and then they play board games, which at anyone's house is a super noisy event, but they play them with these little cloth pieces so, they're, so that no one makes any noise. And, and the trailer for the movie, the, the tagline is this, if they hear you, they hunt you. Ooh, monsters in the walls, uh, finding this place of quiet, this silence. You know, sometimes nothing can be more awkward or more off-putting than silence. You tell a joke you thought was really funny, and no one else laughs. What do we call that? Awkward silence, right? Um, or you, uh, you, uh, you know, a couple uh, decides to go out uh, to dinner, just the two of them, uh, you know, after a long time, and they haven't been out, and, and the, the silence sometimes between the two of them can cut uh, like a knife. Silence, it said, oftentimes can be deafening, uh, and, and silence can put us at our most uncomfortable. See what I mean? <laughs> What's he going to say? At <laughs> uh, my, my last church, the senior pastor used to have us, like, at our staff meetings sometimes, we would stand in a circle and hold hands and look each other in the eyes, and it was, <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. It was so silent, and it creeped all of us out. Um, but I wonder, when was the last time you experienced total quiet? Now, those of you with children are, are trying to figure out when, you know, the, your birth, children's birth date, to say before then. Uh, and, and I mean not when the last time you experienced silence, like not when you were asleep. But, but when you turn off the TV and you turn off the radio, you turn off um, all of the, 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 the smartphones that beep and boop and ding and whoosh and everything else. And, and you simply uh, are quiet, intentionally to be quiet. I don't know about you, around my house, the day typically uh, starts around 6 when the kids are already up and fighting. Uh, and, and then by the time we get them out of the house by about 7 o'clock, I've got about uh, 10 seconds of silence before. I just can't take it anymore. I'm so used to the noise that I've got to get things going. So the TV comes on or the phone comes out or the different things that are happening just so that there's not silence. Then I, I get ready, get in the car, uh, put on an audio book and travel the you know, 15 minutes up to work and then it's noise and it's busyness and the copy machine's going and people are talking and phones are ringing and all the way till I get back to the loud house at the end of the day with the drums and the karaoke machine and then even at the end of the day, 
I cannot go to sleep when it's just too quiet. Any of you sleep with a white noise machine? I've got one of these on my phone. It's one of these apps. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, my, my sleepy time uh, routine is the, the, uh, the, the, the rain cloud and the wind, which last night was no problem for many of us here with that going on. But rain cloud and wind sounds a little bit like this. Can you hear it? Yeah. It's very peaceful. It helps me go to sleep at night. Now, for someone who created this app, they've got fire and a railroad track. So... If you like to go to sleep to the sound of a train crash, uh, you know, this app's for you. I, I'm not quite sure what's up with that. But uh, for, for, uh, for those who are really afraid of silence, uh, the word is sedatephobia. Sedatephobia, the fear of silence. Now, some of us fear silence because we have this fear of missing out. FOMO, as it's called, uh, this fear that we're going to miss something that's going on. We're missing the place where it's loud. We're missing the place where the noise is, where the activity is. And if we're too still and we're too quiet and it's too silent around the place, then, then certainly we're missing out on something. Others of us are afraid of, of silence because when we're silent, what do we hear? Well, we hear the voices, the voices that are in our head that, that, you know, that, that tell us you know, we're not good enough or... You know, or maybe it, it's the voices that say, listen, you've got a to-do list. You've got a lot of things uh, to do today. There is no time for this silent silliness. So get busy, get moving, whatever it takes, get going. And then for some of us, it's the silence that comes when that person is no longer with us. Whether it's a loved one uh, or, or whether it's a beloved animal. Uh, th that noise that used to be made in the house, that companionship, there's a fear of that silence that we often want to fill with anything that will distract us for the way that that feels. But maybe, maybe in this sense of a fear of silence, we should fear that in all the noise, we might be missing out on the very things that we ought to be hearing. That with all the noise and the busyness in our lives, that maybe we might fear not hearing the silence. Because in the silence, we often hear the voice of God. Now, I'd argue that at the time of Paul's transformation, that he's at one of the loudest periods in his life. Uh, Saul began his life in the town of Tarsus, which was a town of four to 500,000 people. It was an incredibly metropolitan city. It was busy. It was uh, like living uh, in today's Houston or somewhere else. Always noise, always highway traffic, not from 18-wheelers, but maybe from camels and things like that. It was always busy. Folks were up all hours of the night, and, and Saul did not enter into a quiet life. He was a shopkeeper. He was a tent maker, and so he was always interacting with clients. When he uh, began to study uh, to become a Pharisee, he did not enter into a quiet religious practice. Now, those who became Pharisees were not monks and hermits. They were a part of a tradition that valued argumentation, that valued the process of questioning and answering questions as a way of getting deeper into the will of God. When Saul moves to Jerusalem, he moves to another large town where everybody is doing this debating and arguing and trying to get at just what this or that passage means. If you've been to Israel or you'll travel with me to Jerusalem uh, in 2019, early 2019, you'll find that amongst the Orthodox Jews, this is not a quiet, silent practice. 
This is a, a sense of loud, reading aloud, and studying aloud, and, and discussing aloud. Saul did not live a quiet life, and especially when this new movement of Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, well, things got really loud in the city of Jerusalem. Loud in Saul's ears as he began to hear these threats of a, of a heresy, of a false religion beginning to crop up that Saul became bent upon destroying. Saul tells us that he violently persecuted the church of God. And so it was no longer just the sounds of studying that he heard, but the sounds of the screams and the shouts of those that he would attack for believing in this resurrected one. Saul sought to bring this noisy business out into the rest of the world and the places where Christianity was beginning to spread. And so he asked the high priest if he can go and try to, to weed out those who followed Jesus. And he, so he travels to Damascus. And as he's noisily on the way there, he hears a voice from the heavens. He sees a light. He's knocked down. And he hears this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? With the voice of Jesus ringing in his ears, he blindly goes to the city of Damascus, spends a few days with Ananias, and then when he has been baptized and receives his sight, he gets to talking again. I mean, preachers just can't help it. And so Saul goes to the synagogues, and as Madeline was teaching, he, he begins to teach these, uh, these, uh, these Jewish folks of, about Jesus being the Messiah, and, and, and yet Saul's reputation had preceded him. They knew that he was the one who was coming to destroy them. And so quickly they sought to have him leave. Now, we don't see this in Acts chapter 9. We don't find this in the book of Acts. But in Paul's own letters, he tells us that from Damascus, from this busy, noisy place of Damascus, he then leaves, he goes to Arabia, he spends three years there, and then he returns back to Damascus once again. Some scholars will say that this is his first missionary journey. He goes to Arabia, this place hundreds of miles to the south. There was a town there called Petra. Petra was the center of commercial trade in the Arabian world. It's now in very south Jordan. It was the place where the Egyptian Empire and the Roman Empire and the empires of the Far East all came together in trade. And it would have been a wonderful place for Saul to teach and preach. Maybe he went there to begin his teaching mission. But maybe Saul went to Arabia after all of the years of talking, all of the years of the debating, all of the years of noise, simply to go to a, a quiet place, to a wilderness place, to a place that many in the scriptures before had gone, had fled, had retreated to, to be able to be quiet and to listen to the voice of God. Uh, in, in my study of, of uh, Paul, I was led to a new biography that was put out by Tom Wright about Paul. And he makes this parallel between the Apostle Paul and his journey to Arabia and another story in Scripture where one was very zealous for the Lord. This word zealous, it, yes, it rhymes with jealous, but what it, what it really is is a, a, a sense of, of excitement and fervor and passion for the things of God. Saul had that fervor and passion. And so did Elijah. In the stories of 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19, we see this fervor rise to its extreme. And, and there, uh, there um, Elijah is 
one prophet versus the 450 prophets of Baal, the false god, the false religion of the day. And there they were up on a mountaintop, and Saul challenges them against this other god to say, hey, uh, let's get into a battle of the sacrifice. And so he has the, the prophets build an altar and, and listen, to, listen to what he says. He says, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. So they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Maybe he is deep in thought or busy or traveling even. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and louder, and there was no response. No one answered. So then Elijah, he gathers together those who were listening to him, and he has them build an altar and place the bull there on the altar, as was the custom. And, and then he has them take buckets of water and pour the water onto the wood and onto the place of the altar. And once they poured the water on there, he says, do it again. And then he tells them to do it again, over and over again, until this altar was soaking wet. And then he quietly prays to God. And God lights the fire, and everything on the altar is consumed. Well, then, as we read in Scripture, uh, let's just say the, uh, the prophets of Baal are no more. And Saul has, therefore, really... Uh, angered King Ahab and his Baal-worshipping wife Jezebel. She puts out a death threat on his life, and so he flees about a day away from Damascus, and he hides under a broom tree, and he asks for God to take his life. He goes from a mountaintop experience filled with noise to a place of deepest depression, and there an angel of the Lord appears to him, gives him food and water, and tells him to go back into his life and work of ministry. Instead, what we see is Elijah then goes for 40 days and 40 nights into the desert of Arabia. He goes into the desert of Arabia and he goes to the Mount of Horeb. Now, Horeb is another word for Sinai. And it's there at Sinai that Moses had received this incredible appearing of God, this theophany in which there was fire and wind and smoke and the rock shook and the voice of the Lord came and Moses' life and thus the Israelites' life were forever changed, and Elijah goes there hoping to find that same thing, hoping to find a loud and powerful experience with the presence of God. Sometimes that's what we want. We come to worship, we go to places where we hope to hear the voice of God, and, and where is a better place than Mount Sinai? And so Elijah goes, and as soon as he arrives, he hears the voice of the Lord, and the voice of the Lord says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah complains, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord. I, I've, I've spoken up for you when no one else will, and now they're hunting my life. I'm the only prophet left. The Lord tells him to go out to the edge of the mountain. And there at the edge of the mountain, there is a, uh, a, an earthquake that shakes the ground underneath his feet. But the scripture tells us the Lord is not in the earthquake. Then after the earthquake, there is a powerful gale force wind that deafens his ears. And in the midst of that loud wind, he tells us the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the earthquake and the wind, after the earth and wind, there was a fire. After the uh, earthquake and the wind, there was a fire. 
And it tells us that the Lord was not in the fire. And then came, as the New International Version puts it, a gentle whisper. And it's in the gentle whisper that Elijah hears the voice of the Lord. Now, I like the way that the King James Version translates this from the Hebrew. Not a gentle whisper, but then came the sound of sheer silence. It's an oxymoron, the sound of silence. And then the Lord speaks and once again says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah gives his excuse again and the Lord then speaks and says, now get up and go back to where you came from. Go back to Damascus. I've got more work for you to do. Elijah flees 40 days and 40 nights out into the place in Arabia where he expects to see this vision, this power, this loud experience of the presence of God. The Lord didn't tell him to go to Mount Horeb. The Lord didn't ask him to travel all that way. In fact, the Lord had appeared to him just a few miles from his town underneath the broom tree. And an angel came and gave him food and water. What more could he possibly want? But he flees away and he goes to a place where he thinks for sure he'll hear the voice of God. In the earthquake, in the wind, and in the fire. But instead it's in the sound of sheer silence. The very voice of God speaking in the quiet place. You don't have to travel to the wilderness to find a very quiet place. You don't have to do anything outside of the ordinary to hear the voice of God speaking. Instead, it's in a moment of silence. A time of positioning yourselves in a place where God is often found to be speaking. Saul, like Elijah before him, travels into Arabia. And it's in Arabia where Saul communes with the Lord Jesus. And, and Saul receives his purpose and his mission. He finds his clarity. He finds direction. And he returns to Damascus to transform the world for Jesus Christ. Elijah goes into the wilderness, into that place in Arabia. And he returns to fulfill his prophetic mission. Jesus goes into the wilderness and it's there that he finds the resolve to do the very thing that he and he alone can do. Have you found a quiet place? A place where God and God alone can speak. A place where in the silence, in the quiet, in the peace, in the stillness, you can say, speak Lord for your servant is listening. Now it won't happen overnight, but it may. We just don't know how the Lord works. But if we place ourselves and we expectantly wait for God to give us peace, to give us direction, to give us clarity, it may come from the earthquake and the fire and the wind. But it may also come in a quiet place. And in those quiet places, there's no monsters to fear. But we may fear that we miss the very word of the Lord. Will you now join me in a time of quiet and silence as we calm our hearts and ask for our Lord to speak? Jesus, we know that it is 
not always easy to find those quiet places. Lord, in the busyness and in the midst of all the things that we have going on in our lives, we know that sometimes things seem too busy, too scheduled, too chaotic, too loud. But Lord, we ask for you to give us the opportunities and the strength and the presence to simply be still and to be quiet and to hear your voice, O God. And now, Jesus, as we have the opportunity to give back to you, to give our very gifts and tithes, we ask that you would take them and empower them to be your very work in the world. Thank you for all that you've blessed us with and the opportunity to be a blessing to others. And then we ask that we would give in a spirit of joyful obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.